Motor Mouths, Ditch and Bud on News Talk 98.9, the roar of Memphis. All right, here we go. It's another weekend. It's another chance for us to talk about cars. I'm Ditch. I'm Bud. And we are the Motor Mouths. We're going to spend the next hour with you talking about cars because that's what we do. We talk about cars, we don't we? talk about driving them, talking about working on them, talking about working on them while we're driving them, driving them while we're working on them, all of that. Yeah, working on them after we drive them. Everything associated with the car. Now, listen, we'll start by saying uh, we're going to tell you how to get in touch with us, but we also are not experts. Bud has actually worked in a shop. I've just worked on my own cars. And uh, through the those experiences we want to share some of our uh experience with you and if you have things you want to add if you yeah, have you know, questions you have you know not everyone has a car guy in their lives so we want to do that for you that's right well let us be your car guys and we have a bunch of questions we're going to address today how do you get your question to us well there's a lot of ways you can go to the motormouths.com we have a contact us page there you can find us on facebook at the motormouths i'm on twitter at bud motormouth you can even interact with me live every monday on twitch.tv slash Thorny Undead. I play Car Mechanic Simulator and I talk cars. That's pretty cool. That that Car Mechanic Simulator is literally, it simulates you being yeah, a car and mechanic. It's a, fun, it? it's a fun way for me to have some visuals to show people, you know, this, that, and the other and answer questions with, with uh, you know, again, having a, having a visual and something to, to work off of. You can follow me on Twitter at I am Ditch. And we're going to get to some news about uh, everything from electric cars Big news is always just about on a weekly basis with the electric car industry, the EV industry. There's always something. This week, there is some big news about the batteries, okay? Both safety and how we're going to make these batteries. I also have a safety concern with one of the big EV models that we're going to talk about. Oh, yeah. And then I've got uh, some theft prevention. Uh, we also got a story about a bunch of stolen challengers. But um, there's a theft prevention that you can use for Dodges, but it'll actually work for almost any brand. Which is, this is awesome. I can't wait to hear this. First, though, I want to follow up on a previous story. We had Julie call in with an issue on an estimate she had. Was one her, option, uh, her Hyundai? Her Hyundai. One option was a Hyundai Sonata, I think 2018. One V6. Was the warranty pay two hundred bucks for diagnostic, and if it's covered by warranty, they eliminate that fee. If they don't, you're in for two hundred bucks plus plus the, the repair. Repair, and it it was a valve cover gasket on a V6, which meant uh, at least three hours of labor. It was going to be a hefty bill, I think. Or the other option, as she presented to us, was take it to a an ind- a shop that just says, here's the diagnosis and here's the cost of fixing it. It was like three fifty total. And, and it was a shop she went to regularly, was familiar with, comfortable with, and trusted. And guess what? What do you think Julie did? I'm going to guess she went with her trusted shop she knows. Bingo. No That's... no weird dance, no nope. no goofy, um, you know, if, if then stuff. Just here's the repair, we'll do it, we'll warranty it, and you're good to go. So glad to hear that worked out for Julie. Absolutely. Now, let's welcome into the studio somebody who had a question on the Motor Bowls and we invited her in. She listens. And it's I think it's it's good to have you in, Gwen, because your scenario is similar to a lot of people. They're probably gonna listen to your story and say, you know what? I've been there before. I want to hear what she has to say. So welcome to the Motor Mouse. Thank you for having me. I do have to say I feel a bit like Ricky Bobby in his first interview and in that I'm Don't know what to do with Don't the hands. Don't know what to do with the hands. <laughs> <laughs> on well, the mic, but I'll well, do my best. <laughs> make yourself at home here. Just uh, put make your camera down, Ditch. You're making yeah. her uncomfortable. That's right. Uh, so, uh, first of all, uh, what do you drive? I'm in a 2010 Honda Cross Tour. Okay. It's a Accord 
cross tour. So it's a crossover. Mm-hmm. All the all the usual suspects. How many miles? Give us all that information. Okay. Um, I've oh. had this car from the first mile off the dealer lot. Brand new. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, You're one owner. You're one the only owner. owner. Got it. Mm-hmm. 217,000 miles, I'm proud to say. Okay. It's all been, yours. Yes. Nice. It's been a great car. There's so many things I like about it. But now that it's over that 215,000 miles. You're discovering mile things mark, you don't like about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you use the car primarily for? It's my only vehicle. So, okay. everything work, errands, road trips. On everything. the motor miles, we call that an appliance. It's, I was for, about to say, yes. it's her appliance. It's not necessarily a hobby car yet, but it sounds like what we're going to hear today maybe turn into a hobby car. Yeah. But it's your appliance car. It's your, your utility car. You use it for every aspect of your life. Correct. Okay. You're, you you reached out to us because of some issues with the car and some of the estimates that you got. Now, I will preface this by saying, Bud backs me up on this. Actually, this comes from Bud, that this is not to beat up dealerships or shops. No. This is to share Gwen's experience and to offer potentially an alternative and offer some reality to it. Um, so tell us about the problems that you experienced and what happened. Well, it all started with the check engine light because isn't that how it always right. starts? Often enough, yeah. Yes. And so um, I scheduled, I had an oil change and I had, by the way, check the check engine light that's on and see right. if you can diagnose what's going on with that. And they came back with quite a list and it was that's, extensive. And that's why, is it not, Bud, that people are afraid to take their cars to a repair shop because they're like, it's just a check engine light. And look at Gwen. How many pages do you have there? Two. Well, but they're <laughs> full, but they're packed. Yes. It's not double spaced. <laughs> anyway, anyway, before we get to all that, so what, what was their list? What did they give you? How many codes was the thing throwing out? I don't know anything about um, codes, but mm. I've got a valve pause system repairs. That's a section. Okay. Um, things like front and rear variable fa- valve timing control. Okay. Uh, front and rear valve cover gasket, engine flush degrease engine, VTC oil control valve, bank one and two, okay. engine valve cover gasket set. Okay, so stop And right so there. on. And so on. Stop there. So what they're charging you for is valve cover gaskets, the oil that leaked all over your engine. They're going to clean that. That's in there. I heard that in there. What about some of the other uh, timing stuff? Uh, how critical is this stuff? But uh, this is what this is what people are going to say. Well, can she just drive the car like this? But how critical are these? Yeah, things? So I what, had a Volkswagen. I drove with a check engine light for two years. Yeah, I, so. I, you get that a lot. A, a lot of times. So for our listeners, a check engine light effectively is your your car's way of saying something is not operating right in the engine in regards to the fuel burning. The fuel it's, burn is burning incorrectly. Too much, not enough. Uh, bad timing and and so on. It's and, like and a the, thermometer. Yeah, I have the, a temperature. Please. And the check <laughs> en- the check it. engine light is is the is the car saying, "Hey, something's wrong." And the, uh, when the technician looks at it, the car is saying, "You know, you figure it out." Yeah. You know, it'll give you the code. It tells you the section, the department of the engine that's causing the problem, but it's not it's not a diagnosis. And you know, we we talk about this a lot, Ditch. That the the check doing doing just a scan and getting the code that's not that's not a diagnosis don't let anyone tell you it's a diagnosis a diagnosis involves testing uh running you know running actual um doing actual diagnostic tests and, i was told and, that that is what they did right they had it the whole they, day that, that's they, a report they, of what the computer says right right mm-hmm. the computer the computer says something's wrong with my variable valve timing well you got to open up the valve cover and find out what specifically yeah, they said it wasn't 
firing right. Yeah, so so those Honda engines, uh, the variable valve timing, what that is, is, and this is getting a bit into the weeds, but um, rather than just having a, a, a simple valve and cam system, like I'm sure you've seen plenty of, yeah. Ditch, yeah. Um, they have a, I think it's a, a fuel pressure regulated, I'm sorry, an oil pressure regulated system that will open the valves to different degrees um, based okay. on your cur the current needs of the engine. So it's a little bit more sophisticated. It's much better for fuel economy, and you can get more power out of it. These are really popular um, out of the Acuras, uh, which is a Honda product. But uh, as you can see, it does it does lead to some, you know, more moving parts can lead to more issues. But uh, can I see that? Can mm -hmm. I see that printout they gave you? And there was something about, I have a, you all know this, V6, but it's not operating as a V6. It's taking it down to a, a 4. Again, for economy, what... what uh, because it's not firing. So right. they're telling you it's only running off of four, four cylinders, cylinders, or is this one of those engines that reduces to four when you're on the highway? He says it's being reduced to four because of this because issue. Because of the problem. Have, you, have yes. you noticed your gas mileage just being atrocious? Are you burning through no, gas really it's, bad? It's, it is slow. It takes three cranks to start. Oh, my. And that's fairly new. That is... I've, I've dealt with that problem in my truck. Um, and sometimes the way around that is to turn the key, not the engine on, turn the key on so the electrical system engages and you're priming the fuel pump by doing that. Do that twice. And then the third time when you actually crank the engine, it should fire right up if that is a fuel pump primer problem. Okay. So try doing that. The other thing... Do you notice is as far as leaking? Do you have oil on the on the ground? I do or not. There's no okay. oil under the car. Okay, so so I'm I'm just I'm looking at what they what they wrote out here and um the it's the variable valve timing control valve so it it makes it 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 makes sense from what I'm seeing here. I don't see anything too outrageous or egregious. Granted, it's it's a it's a hefty bill, but at two hundred thousand miles, it's not surprising that something like this would start to give you trouble in an engine like this because, like I said, it's a lot of additional moving parts. And uh, like I said, it's a it's a oil pressure controlled system to control these these variable valve timings. And after two hundred thousand miles, it seems that the the valves went wrong. And the is the, the the thing is here too, from what what I'm uh, if it's a reputable shop, they're gonna, they should warranty this. So you should, you know, if you do foot this bill and have them repair all this stuff, you, that light shouldn't come back on within a week. And if it does, they should handle that for you. So Gwen, you took it in not because of the car you noticed malfunction. It was just because of the check engine light. It needed an oil change and the check engine light. You haven't you noticed though any performance issues yourself, just as the driver. Just that it's thir three times to crank it. Okay, all right. Other than that, it's fine. So, so is it the oil? Um, is it that oil issue is the main problem with? Uh, is that what's tripping all this stuff? Well, what it is is there's a there's a valve control module um, that, or it's a valve rather that dictates to these very. There's there's basically like three intake valves okay. on these motors, and one of them one of them is controlled by this um, by this. Pressure, this, this, this pressure system that's it's run off of the oil pressure got it but it's it's controlled through a valve and that valve uh based on all the information the computer's feeding it that's coming from like your camshaft position sensor your crankshaft position sensor your oxygen sensor your mass airflow sensor all that stuff is being fed to the computer and it can use these valves to dictate how much the third valve is going to open uh on the motor and how much air and fuel mixture you're going to get and that's going to give you you know better gas mileage and performance based on that that's, that's the whole 
the whole uh, design of these variable valve timing motors. So, so from what I'm reading here on this uh, on this uh, work order uh, with the recommendations is that those valves have gone bad. So it. it's not regulating those variable intake valves properly. Gwen's been the only owner of this car, 2010, bought it brand new. Have you ever had any major repairs done on it? Timing um, belt? And I'm actually, uh, it's funny you say that. Timing belt once. Timing so they're belt telling once. me I'm actually overdue for my second. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing that right here that the timing belt. that's a belt, big ticket I was here on the second page Time yeah that's also not a big cheap. chunk of right. change yeah. yeah so this is where you're getting to that point where the the you know the total on this thing is getting pretty hefty with the recommendation this is where you start having that conversation do you want to spend all this money to to repair this car or do you want to start looking at another car because well, again so two hundred thousand miles see what's out on there you. yeah so i said don't do the work let me go see what's out there on the lots. So I because drove the lots on Saturday, mm -hmm. and wow. So <laughs> yeah, so the, the market's so, a mess so, right wow. now. It is. It's a it's a nightmare. But so Gwen, um, the uh, the 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 cost of repairs of this. I mean, to sell your car right now, as I just looked up, if you were to try to go according to Consumer Reports and and sell this now, I didn't put in the mileage. Uh, maybe four thousand dollars, four to seven thousand dollars. Private ownership sale. Private, okay. Now, Not a trade-in. But that's okay. with a car that doesn't have a, a repair sheet like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're um, talking what, like four, I think I'm seeing like four and a half grand worth of stuff if so my math serves me. You're at a point now where the, the cost of that is almost more same. than the actual value of the car or about the same. Have you ever had any transmission problems with that? Because I'm looking it up and I'm seeing that this model, uh, Honda Cross Tour 2010, has transmission problems, present themselves with shifting delays, grinding when accelerating after 150,000 miles, and you will notice a burning smell coming from under the hood. Has any of that ever happened? None of that. And okay. if it was going to, it would have by now. By now. If you're going to yeah. have those transmission issues, if there's something wrong, you'd, you'd, that'd have hit you already. So for it to have lasted 200,000 miles, that's that's pretty solid. I know Hondas can hit can hit more than that. And again, if you did these repairs, it probably would continue to run. But this, then you start getting into that. What's next? You know, at this kind of mileage and, and this this age of the car, it's it's going to turn into what, the the real calculation is: Will the repairs uh, across the year add up to more per month than a car payment? Correct. And then what will I be hit with in addition to that? Exactly. Now, but because it's an unknown, right? Let me ask you this, bud, because you brought this up before. Some shops, uh, and I'm not I'm not pointing out any shops here, but bud is in his experience over the years, they they will, they don't want to work on a car after, I mean, is, is this one of those where she brought it in? They're like, man, we do not want to work on this. Let's just, I, let, let's run this bill up the flagpole. It, it's and, really hard to figure that just by looking at this, uh, this quote sheet. But I, I've got to There's say, a lot of book hours in there. I, there. The only thing, I, you know, I wish I could see just the, the readout from, from the car. You know what I ought to do is just grab my scanner and go scan it and see what codes I get. But um, if this is, I mean, if this is genuine, I don't, it doesn't really feel like they're throwing everything in the kitchen sink at it. I mean, there's the, you know, of course, the, the obligatory well, air filter quote. and all that stuff. The first quote had everything in the kitchen sink. Oh, it this did. This is my second, yeah, this quote. Is your second is this, one. Did yeah. they tell you this is the just to get it running properly? Yes. The minimum, yeah. It's yeah. the bare so, minimum quote. Yes. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> if I'm necessarily considering this a uh, uh, a scare you away kind of quote because something like the the variable valve timing not running properly, you, you're reducing the life of the motor if you leave that unchecked. All right. So, Gwen, here's your options. Okay. Okay. Option A, you, you go ahead and get this done. Bud said, you know, and I agree with him, shop's going to warranty this at least – I would, year? I, average I've seen is uh, most shops is 12 months, 12,000 miles, but ask them specifically what the warranty would be. I don't, I, I don't know this shop particularly. So you do that. You're like, all right, now I got a great running car. 
Mm-hmm. It's going to get me for for sure at least this year uh, or 12,000 miles, whatever that warranty may be, and maybe longer. I mean, you may be able to keep it for another many years. Who knows? But you haven't had any transmission problems yet. And if you would have, Bud thinks maybe by now you, you would have seen some so, something. Yeah, that's your option. Option A is to pay the – option B, trade it in, get 500 bucks for it for a newer car, and now you're stuck with car payments. Oh, or – Go ahead. Option C – Put this thing in hospice care and just drive it until it dies. I was going to say that that was that was the third option is do it <laughs> do it, parts, do, what it uh, do what Ditch is doing with his truck. Just drive it until the wheels fall do off. Do what it. I'm doing with my truck. I refuse to put any money into it. The only thing I put in my truck is oil. And you can you can track your your gas mileage. I'm, I'm sure it's got it's got uh, something in there. Does the computer tell you what your gas mileage is on average? No. The uh, one thing you can do, because if you're getting just atrocious gas mileage, that needs to go into your calculation. And one way you can do that is you fill the tank, record your mileage, drive it until it's empty, fill it up again, look at how many miles you drove, and uh, divide that by how many gallons you put in it. You can get your average gas mileage. If this thing's getting less than less than 20, 18 miles per gallon, that should be part of your calculation. Because I'm, I would not be surprised to find out that this thing's getting terrible gas mileage I'll with, uh, with is. the issues I'm seeing uh, in okay. this quote. I'll bet it is. I'll, I, yeah, I'm almost sure. What What is the gas mileage on that car to begin with? I don't know. Probably in good working uh, let me, order. Let me look. 25, maybe 30. Is it that good from a 2010 model? Uh, but it, it certainly should be. Uh, you would probably know. 18 city, 27 highway. Okay. Wow, that's not that good. Yeah, you know, you'd think. think you'd think, think it would be better, better than, than that. that but, well, it is the V6, too. So it's probably got a little more. It's got a little get up and go. Yes. And is this uh, all wheel drive? Guys, I don't know. Okay. All right. But it's interesting, though, that she said the shop told her this thing is reduced to four. It's a six-cylinder, but it's actually operating as a four-cylinder. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm curious if that because there are engines that do that 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 they'll they'll reduce it. Like when you're on it the highway, it'll go down. To, I know Cadillac likes to do that. Yeah, like well, basically, you don't need as much power to start moving as you do to keep moving. Keep moving. So That's there's true. some motors out there that will basically switch off two or four of the cylinders. I know, again, I know a Cadillac likes to do this, but every time every time you talk to mechanics about this, they all think it's a terrible feature. I'm not a big fan myself, and I, I honestly haven't kept track of what does. I don't know of any Honda motors that do this, so I don't know if they're just saying that that, that they, they're just trying to make it easier to, to explain by saying you're basically running on four cylinders, or if this, I don't think this is one of those kind of motors, but I might be wrong. If anyone out there knows, you can correct me. Yep. So, or if it is just a function of the motor is is in self preservation mode, it's yeah. like, well, we're gonna have to kill two of these Cause, cylinders because she I've, is I've, driving us into the ground. I did have my my HHR. You know, when one of the coils went bad, it was running off of three cylinders, and it was very noticeable. It was yeah. pretty obvious that something was terribly, terribly wrong with the engine. So, uh, a, a, a V six running off of four cylinders, I'm sure it would be uh, it would be very obvious to you as the as the daily driver of the car. Well, I'm just so thankful that this car, even though I mean it's at the mileage it has now but i'm it's i'm not in a position where it won't go i mean i could still get around that's that's why option c is on the table you just try you know you might get six more months out of this thing before uh before it gets terrible but i would definitely look uh keep an eye on your gas mileage because you don't want to be paying twice as much for gas because then it's going to hit you in the wallet anyway so it, do you got these three options. You've already checked into the estimates. You've already gotten two estimates. Uh, you've looked at cars. New cars are so high right now. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I don't then, buy new cars. So I'm not allowed to. I got. I had a, a great little car that came in off of trade-in that I had before this one, mm-hmm. and that was a good deal back in those days. So it'd be nice to be able to find something. And I guess you shop lots after the weekend, after they come in. 
on trade, yep. and they know yep. what they have. So That's, this buys me a little time. And I'll always be to willing to walk walk away. The worst thing you can do is say, "I want to leave in a car today," and here's what yeah. I want my monthly payment to be, and mm. and here's my budget. But you know, take your time. But I don't, I don't, I'm not to tell you how to shop. No, no going <laughs> in, Gwen. That you you you, you can walk away just as easy as you can walk in. So yeah, I, um, my opinion is if it has zero value, you, I think I should go with option C. Just drive it. Just drive, drive Can't it. drive it anymore. Yeah. yeah. I would say, and you've got a lot of, dude, you got your money worth on this thing. Definitely. Uh, yeah, it's been like a great car. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing your story with Thanks us. Thanks for having me in, guys. And as always, we ask that you follow up with us. And if it does, you know, if we do have to have a funeral for it, we, we will okay. do that too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, uh, but we appreciate it. And uh, if you have a question, if you have a comment, maybe you drive one of these or you know more that you can help out and we can pass that information along to Gwen, please reach out to us, 901 3 Get your question on the board with the Rick's Powder Coating text line. Speaking um, of which, we have a bunch to get to in, in our next segment, Ditch. I got I got a handful that came through over the Rick's Powder Coating text line during the uh, during the last show, so I definitely want to start addressing some of those. And I've been challenged, and I'm going to meet that challenge. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. Let's see what happens here. Bud's been challenged to what? Not buy another car? Someone said I couldn't explain how an engine works without any visuals. Oh, this ought to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All so, right. I got a bunch of analogies lined up for that. That's all coming up, and thanks for sticking with us. We're going to keep talking about cars after this. I'm Ditch. I'm Bud. And we're the Motor Mouths. More horsepower than a BMW Isetta. The Motor Mouths. Ditch and Bud on News Talk 98.9. Welcome back in here to the Motor Mouths studio. I'm Ditch. I'm Bud. We are the Motor Mouths. And guess what? We're going to continue talking about cars. Because if you haven't figured out by now, that's what we do. We talk about cars, don't we, Bud? For an entire hour every Saturday. And we want to welcome you and thank you for your questions. We're going to get to some of the questions that we got from last week's show. That's the beautiful thing about reaching out to us. Once you send us your question, whether it's uh, whether you put it on the board on our Rick's Powder Coating text line or you message us in many different ways that Bud's going to share in a second, we'll get to it. If we don't get to it that day... Like today, maybe we'll address it next week and, and we let you know we're going to do it. Definitely want to be able to have some time to do some research mm -hmm. on, on these things because a lot of times I got to do some Googling and kind of look into it because uh, believe it or not, Ditch, you can't know everything about cars as much as, we, as, much as we'd like to. Uh, but that's what's so fortunate about having all these resources online. But if you do want to ask us any questions, you can go to themotormouths.com and shoot us an email. And of course, I'm on Twitter at Bud Motormouth and I'm on Twitch every Monday playing Car Mechanic Simulator. You can come there and talk to me and see my dumb face live it's twitch.tv slash thortyundead. Always happy to talk cars there as yeah. well. There you go. Present your question in real time to Bud. I am Ditch. That is my name, and it's also my Twitter handle. I am <laughs> Ditch. So you can follow me there. So we're going to get to some questions. But first, you can do a follow-up. Yeah, so uh, while we were while we had the break there, I looked up what we were talking about. I was saying I didn't know if Gwen's car had cylinder deactivation. I did look it up, and the 2010 Honda, that V6, it's a 3.5 liter. It does have not only the variable valve timing that I was talking about, it has What's the what, what what Honda calls the variable cylinder management, and uh, it seems to me that uh, what I was looking at that on that quote is these valves control uh, either both or at least are involved with this. Again, ha getting the third party information, I'd, I'd, I would love to have 
spoken directly with the technician to get exactly what's going on. But I think what they were explaining to her is it's in uh, four-cylinder mode. These engines can be six, four, or three cylinders. And I think I think what they're describing to her is that it's stuck on four cylinders, which is why it's still working. She, it probably doesn't have as much power as she's used to, but it's still enough that it doesn't feel like there's anything irregular with the way the car is performing. She doesn't notice a difference. And again, this is on this 2010 Honda Accord Cross Tour. And we just had, if you missed it, Gwen in studio with us to talk about a estimate she had, valve covers, and, and there's an oil pressure thing that's going on internally. And it says in the reports that it's operating on four cylinders. And Bud nailed it. It's uh, The engine is doing that by design. Right. That, what these engines do is, you know, you start out in first gear. It wants all six cylinders to have enough power to get the car moving. And so you don't feel like you're driving a brick. You know, you got a little bit of horsepower and, and it's it's enjoyable to drive. This is why I'm loving my Grand Cherokee lately. It's got a lot more horsepower than my HHR and it moves when I tell it to. But when you're, uh, you know, it takes more energy to get things moving than to continue moving. So you need, you want six cylinders, you know, you're taking off, it's using more gasoline, but you're, you're on the move. You're getting from from zero to 20. But when you're on the highway and you're just maintaining 60 miles an hour, 80 miles an hour, you don't need all six cylinders firing to do that. So it's a way to way to save gas. So we're also, something that's going to be fun, Bud's been challenged. You said earlier before we went to break that somebody challenged you and uh, I can't wait to hear you meet this challenge or yeah. at least attempt to meet the what challenge. What happened was I was discussing, you know, I was telling, talking about my, my, my the, this radio show. I was like, yeah, I got this, this show about cars and uh, it didn't make sense sense that I can that we can talk about cars and it would be it would be worthwhile and they well they said you know well how, how are you going to explain how an engine works without being able to use any visuals and that 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 kind of I, I said I could do it and it kind of ate away at the back of my brain so I've, I've got a, a series of analogies and I'm going to attempt to describe how an engine works to the best of my ability just with the audio oh this ought to be fun so you'll be able to picture in your own mind if you're not yeah. driving close your eyes and let Bud explain yeah, please to don't you. close your eyes while you're driving no, that doesn't work <laughs> it doesn't work at all. So what we're going to do is we'll, we'll do that here in just a few, but I want to address a couple of stories every week. You know, bud, we, uh, we hear about EVs that market continues to grow. Everything surrounding the electric car market grows. One of the, the, the thing that runs an electric car is the battery. And we got a question and the question is to us here on the motor miles, if electric car batteries are worth a small fortune, do we see people stealing them out of electric vehicles in the future? The simple answer, and this is based on industry experts and some of the research I've done, is no. Uh, I, I can imagine it's got to be, I mean, I've seen what it takes just to get the battery pack out of a Prius and it's an eight hour job. So I severely doubt it's going to be common, at least until they're quick swap batteries, right? Like we've seen in those videos where it's this uh, theoretical design that you pull into what looks like a car wash and it just pulls the or battery off under your car. Yeah, yeah, and they drop in a new, uh, pop in a new one, which would make more sense than a charging station, but that's not exactly a mainstream design at this point. Well, the, the issue is the weight of the battery. This isn't like going to cut a catalytic converter <laughs> out of the bottom of your car. The average weight of these batteries, depending on the EV that you have, is between 1,000 and 4,000 pounds. Wow. Now, th what about taking to a chop shop to pull that thing out. And well, again, I, I think it comes down to it's more work than it's worth. So but. so that's the issue. What, what we're probably going to see is a is a market of not stealing the batteries. Let's just steal the whole car. Right. Going to figure out a way to steal the whole car. So uh, I got in the rabbit hole with that question and I started to think about it. And I brought this up on the motor rails not too long ago that uh, there are issues now in South Florida with 
EVs catching fire and fire departments not put not even attempting to put those out. Once it catches, just, just let, let it, it burn. Yeah. And they're finding an issue in Florida and communities like Florida because of salt water and the air. Oh yeah. And the salt water air. Um, it does not batteries, these car batteries, these lithium ion batteries coming in contact with salt water flooding uh, from the ocean. And also just long, we just still don't have enough extent of research with these yet. But that is going to be an issue in the future with lithium-ion batteries in cars in saltwater climate communities. That Felicity Ace story uh, about oh, that ship catching fire yeah. and sinking is is very telling. And and so then my research, just real quick, but I thought this was interesting, and you can tell me if it's not to you, but I think it is. Because guess what? Here, here's what we're about to face. We're about to face an industry of, you know, the, the next big thing is, well, where are we going to get all this lithium? Right. And, and so there are these mines around the country, around the world, and India has just found, according to the India, the government in India, a deposit so large that it will essentially be 40% of the world's lithium in oh, this, one, this one deposit. Uh, and that's where it's going to go. At the moment, the global market for most of the lithium comes from South America, Chile, and Australia. And the mining of this of this. And I'm bringing this up because this is something climate control people are going to have to get a grip on. They right. want they want everybody to drive these EVs because because they're quote more economically and sound. Or right, and they're not they're not you know the the carbon emission footprint of your right. gas powered cars. Well, guess what? Lithium mining is really really hurtful to the climate, and they're finding in Australia uh, one of the biggest problems with the big lithium mine deposits is drought in the whole area. Because because they're using a lot of water for the Bingo. For, for the uh, mining process, Bing. they use a lot of water for all go. the equipment and everything. So there's there's a setback. So uh, just as I started to go down this this EV rabbit hole, I got into some of that, and I wanted to point that out. And then finally, the on the street problem that is happening right now with the new Teslas. It's not a widespread problem yet. 120,000 uh, Model Y long range SUVs. The steering wheels are coming off. Just coming off while you're driving. They found that they left the factory the year 2023. They left the factory missing a bolt on the steering column. Oh, geez. So you could be driving down the road and your steering will come the, off. The, the hits column. just keep on coming. <laughs> yeah. With with, so. the, with with Tesla, you know. Um, but unfortunately, as I've been saying, Ditch, every time we bring up EVs, my problem with it is this rapid push to replace gas with them as fast as possible. Yeah. And I, I've said they're fun to drive. There's a there's a place for them. You know, actually, let me jump let me jump ahead. I know we said we were going to get to some of the questions from the Rick's Powder Coating text line and these other sources, but this is relevant. I was asked on the Rick's Powder Coating text line what my uh, feeling towards the Mustang Mach E is, and I don't really care that they use the name Mustang. It's their name. They can do what they want with it. They probably could have gotten away with not calling it a Mustang and just made it another one of their electric cars. Doesn't but, look like one. Um, yeah. Uh, they're, 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 they're hideously ugly, but so is every other car practically made today. But uh, I saw an image of one made into a hearse. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, that makes sense. It's a, it's a company car. It has a specific purpose. It would make sense for that to be electric. They charge it at the funeral home overnight, and then the next day, it's got a full battery. They make their 100, 150-mile rounds of wherever they got to deliver their uh, cargo, and and that would and that would just work. We saw again, we saw that like, transit van at the uh, auto show, the Memphis Auto Show, yep. and it's a, it's got a route. It's used on a daily basis. It would make sense, and if they would if they would just 
you know, allow electric cars to enter the market and let competition do its thing and just have both available, it would be fine. It's this rapid rush to replace and pushing it too fast, I think, is the major problem. Introduce it to the market, figure out the kinks, and let consumers decide what we want to do. Yeah, and, and there will be, there will be they, they serve different purposes is really the, 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 the thing I keep getting to. So uh, anyway, I got this I got this story I want to get to, Ditch. Six Dodge Challenger Hellcats stolen in 45 seconds out of a dealership in Kentucky. This happened this week. Okay. Okay, some clarity on this. Six from the same dealership? Yes, all, all within 45 once, seconds. Within 45 seconds. The ones in the building, get this. They, you, you know why they were so easy to steal? Because they left the key fobs Key fobs, in them, key fobs. Yep. Right inside them. And then the, the other ones, that there were two that were outside. They got uh, they got them out of the lockbox. Uh, they had knowledge of the security system and where the keys were kept. So inside speculation job. is inside job. Uh, Each one of these cars was worth 95 grand. Now, they recovered five of them. Uh, five of the six were recovered within a day, but uh, the other the other one went missing. And uh, I, this does lead to a question I want to get to in a second. But they, they said that the the way the security system works, it takes sixty seconds before it starts sending out its alert, and it's a three minute response time from the cops. These guys were out of there in forty five seconds. Wow! Uh, they were just they were very well organized, and it, it looked like it wasn't the first time they did this. But so this, there was a driver for every Hellcat, basically. Yeah. And um and again ninety five grand each. Now this does this does bring up the question though. Okay, they recovered these cars. They put them back on the lot uh do you think they ought to disclose that to someone trying to buy the car and if you and this is a question for anyone out there if, if the dealership told you like yeah this is a great car you know you're gonna want it you're gonna enjoy it yada 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 by the way this thing was stolen about a week ago but we got it back and everything's fine from the very spot you're standing <laughs> yeah how would you feel about that how would that affect your decision making process and buying that car i mean if you're already thinking about dropping 95 grand on a hellcat you know are you are you gonna want a non-previously stolen one or are you gonna ask for a discount i'm i'm very curious about how anyone would would react to that to that Situation. I would do that. I would say I want a discount, and I want to make sure the you know the warranty covers everything that, that that's potentially. Because yeah, you don't know what they, they probably beat the crud out of that thing. I, I, mean, I could do some damage to a Hellcat in an hour if I had you know just reckless abandon. Took it out and street raced. Uh, did some donuts in intersections. You know, did I mean, what some else are you gonna do with a yeah, stolen yeah. car? You know, right. <laughs> drive it like it's stolen. That's a that's a bumper sticker for a reason. So, so uh, but they brought them back, which is funny. Or they got them. They, they found got five them of the six. They with, weren't damaged in like a day. Uh, for the most part, I didn't see anything specific about it, but uh, one of them ran out of gas just after 25 miles. <laughs> Man. So they just they didn't get very far with it. But this does lead me to uh, this TikTok I saw, and I want to make sure I, uh, that I credit this TikToker. His name is Rob the Mechanic on TikTok, and I saw this video and thought it was hilarious because he was talking about his Dodge Charger uh, Hellcat, and uh, he was saying that, that w the way they're stealing these things, this is out on the street. This isn't stealing it from a dealership with the key fob conveniently left in the cup holder. This is, uh, you know, how they're stealing them out on the street. They break the back window, that little tiny window, all the way in the back, and they, that's how they gain access. And then they hook up a computer, one, a computer like a technician would use, and they use a blank key fob and they basically assign the car the, the key fob to that car and that's how that that's how mm -hmm. they get in there and they and they steal it with this computer and you can teach any any idiot to be able to do this in about five minutes so what his suggestion was and i thought this was brilliant is uh every car has the obd2 sensor since 1996 most people would recognize it uh it's the little uh plug uh down by your left knee on the driver's side for most cars and it's where they're going to plug their diagnostic tool in to get the codes um it's if, if you're in an area that has emissions tests which we don't have here in memphis then that's where they're going to plug in to get the information for that but you that's that's the way your um equipment communicates with the car's computer so what he suggested is remove the location there and get yourself an obd2 extension cable and run it back through the firewall up under the hood 
And granted, they still would be able to access it, but they're not going to spend time looking for it. And you're always saying, Ditch, they want the path of, path of least resistance. Yeah. They get in there. There's no OBD2 plug. Forget this. Let's just move on. Move on. And, and, you can pre- and he went a step further to make a dummy OBD2 port that would power on. To screw with to them. To screw with them so that they would spend going, okay, it's turning on. Why but is it communicating with the car? That may give authorities more time to catch them. Exactly. If they're spending time you know, screwing around with his dummy cord. Right. Uh, it keeps that, them there. It keeps for a them moment. there, yeah. And and it makes them also think, you know, they, they're not going to think to look for the OBD2 port. If they just reach down there and go, where is it? And they just reach out under the dash and find it, then you're not really making any progress in any way. But if if they plug in and they can't communicate with the car, they're they're going to give up and they're going to leave. Yeah. And this, and Rob the mechanic, this is a great. This is you got to check this out on TikTok. Yeah, of course, it's I'll the, share it on all the social medias if you want to see it. It's a good it's a good video. It's that it's that Dodge crazy. What do they call it? Plum crazy purple and it's got the dual snorkel hell, uh, hood on it. It's a really badass-looking car. Yeah, and I wouldn't want it stolen. <laughs> no, I wouldn't either, and I'd do everything I could to keep it uh, from from getting stolen. And, and if it's a dummy, that's awesome. That's a great idea. Uh, and you could do that with any car. He spe- specified his, but yeah, you're right. right. Well, any any car where they're going to use the OBD2 port to, to hack into your car yeah. and steal it, you yeah. know, if there's if there if it's a, if it's a Hyundai and they're using a USB, then it's not really going to do much for you. But um, it's particular for um, Mopar for for the Dodges yeah. out there. It's a great way to prevent it. Let's get to some of your questions, shall we, bud? Let's, uh, let's go for I it. I covered man. that question about the Mach-E and um, wanted to move on. I got a question. This is from Clay, Storyteller to the Stars. This came on during the uh, uh, Nation of Jake that I produce every week, but I thought it would make for a good question here. And he said he's he's happy that there's there's no more inspections. It was a literal madhouse. We were, we were talking about how Memphis doesn't do inspections anymore uh, in, in Shelby County in order to give you your tags. And he said it's a good thing. You know, the madhouse, the town didn't need. It, was, it punished poor folks who couldn't drop 500 bucks around every corner. And I, I kind of get that aspect of it. While part of me does like to think that there's an inspection process to keep all the cars out there safe, uh, I definitely can see how it can be abused. When I lived in Virginia, you would see this. The mechanics held so much power to basically say, you know, we're going to charge you this, you're going to pay us to fix it, or you're not going to be able to drive your car anymore. There's two sides to this. You're talking about the mechanic side and the scams that could go on from that side of the equation. And then I go I go at this, Clay, from the side of driving in this country is a privilege. You earn the privilege right. to drive. It's not a right. So if you want to acknowledge the privilege, there is a set, a just a basic set of standards that you should operate a motor vehicle on the streets and the highways of this country by. And some of the crap that drives around on these streets, and especially here in the Memphis area and Shelby County, since those inspection stations have gone away, is unbelievable. And that is not meeting those basic safety standards. Right. Now, uh, another one we got was talking about a, this is from Brett, a 2012 Mazda 6 that he purchased with 108,000 miles on it, but he took it over to AutoZone and had them plug in their computer to do to just run a scan, you know, look for codes, and it said that it only had 70,000 miles on it, and he said, what was that about? Now, um, I would not be too quick to uh, expect that their computer is going to be absolutely accurate. You know, it, it, it's meant to plug into a lot of different cars. The other option or the other uh, alternative to this is that the dash 
cluster has been changed. And then you can you can change those to meet what's actually on the car. And I told them I wouldn't necessarily be suspicious if they raised the mileage, but if the, if it's lower, if it, if it, if it appears lower than is actually on the car, that might be something to investigate. But since his was actually showing, uh, you know, if the gauge cluster had been changed and it was uh, internally showing a lower mileage, I don't think it's going to be anything to get into a twist over. I and I don't bring this up and ask this because I want someone to go out and do this. But how difficult? I've replaced a, a cluster on an Audi A6, and it was a pain in the but yeah, I've done how, my Marauder too. How difficult is it to actually on these digital uh, counters to change that? I've I honestly don't know. I've never messed with it. I'm sure the dealership has tools that can do it pretty pretty easy. That any mechanic could be trained to to handle it, and and it probably still maintains some kind of uh, original stamp from the from the original cluster, and that might be what's being read. I think this is something we need to dig into. I yeah. think we need to get get a mechanic, uh, a more sophisticated mechanic than myself, and ask him these details. All right, now, Bud, you've been challenged, and you always like a challenge. Absolutely. And you have said, I'll take this on. I'll take this on. And I tell you what, man. I wasn't going to let him get away with it. He said that I wouldn't be able to describe an engine strictly on the radio. I wouldn't be able to make it make sense without visuals. So listen up. Listen closely. I want Bud to explain to us and accept this challenge. How does gasoline burning turn into my wheels turning? How does that happen? So I'm going to use a series of analogies here. So okay. uh, you, you check me, Dish. Make sure, make sure uh, you're keeping up here. Here we so, go. Okay, we're going to start with your bicycle. You're riding a bicycle, right? You're turning the crank with your wheels, uh, with your legs, and you're, you're turning your linear motion of your legs going up and down is turning into uh, a, a, the rotation, circular, en- you know, rotational energy in the crankshaft. Of the of the bicycle, Got it. right now, that's the basic concept we're starting with. Is up and down is turning into into circular motion, right? So instead of legs, and instead of two, we're going to four legs. But instead of legs, that's what the pistons are. Now, for as a piston design, think of your fist and your forearm, right? Now you take now you take that fist and put it into a cup. Now I I want to be clear here. This is not safe. Don't actually do this. I'm just trying to explain the physics. But if you stuck your fist tight into a cup and you put a firecracker in that remaining space, what's going to happen? Boom, boom. That cup is going to go flying. Or if the cup was stationary, your fist is leaving that cup at a rapid rate. So the ex- I'm with you. The explosion is creating energy and pushing down. But instead of your arm just flying at the elbow, if it was pushing down on, say, the pedals of a bike, you'd be turning a crank, right? So as as one goes down, the other comes up every time when you're riding a bike. You push down on one pedal, the other one comes up. So now you've got, let's, we're just going to do a four-cylinder for the sake of brevity. Now, as one comes down, the other goes up, and it's in a tight cylinder. So this is happening multiple times, many times, R- RPMs, right? 2,000 rotations per minute. This is happening so fast, it's barely comprehensible. So you you have uh, four strokes on a motor, right? So that piston is going to go up and down four. It's going to go up twice and down twice. The crankshaft is going to rotate two times per cycle. So again, imagine your fist is going into a cup, right? If you push, you're going to compress air at the top of that, right? So we're in this tight cylinder. The piston is in this tight cylinder. It goes up, compresses air, we have the injector, which squirts gas in there. You've got air in there. Now the, the spark plug fires. Boom, there's your power stroke. So that explosion pushes down, spins the crank, and another piston goes up and compresses and gets an explosion and pushes down. And the four-cycle engine goes intake, compression, combustion, exhaust. So suck, squeeze, bang, blow. <laughs> it sucks. It, 
It sucks in the air. Okay. And so there, there's also two valves at the top of these cylinders. And again, we're staying simple. We're not talking about four valves per cylinder or variable valve right. timing. Okay. But you've got an intake valve. So as the, as the piston is moving down, again, the crank is turning. It's pulling the piston down. The intake sends air in and it mixes with the gas. And then the valve shuts. Now you've got a sealed chamber and a piston compressing all that air. All that air is it's just like old, those old push pops, you know, yeah. with the little with the little stick and you push up the uh, the, the pop on the one oh, side yeah. and the candy comes out. Yeah. So compression and then we spray gas, combustion. That energy's got to go somewhere. It goes down, pushing the piston downward, turning the crank just like your bicycle. And then it's all the way at the bottom. Now the exhaust valve opens up and it's got to push out all that, all that exhaust gas and then the intake valve opens and that continues. So that's the basic premise of how you're rotating the crankshaft to get that rotational energy that you need to go into the transmission, which has gearing. And I can't explain transmissions with the amount of time we have left. I can do that on another date. But that goes down the drive shaft into the wheels. All of that energy created right there goes through the entire system. Right. And yeah. then just a brief aside, the way those valves are controlled is through the camshaft. The camshaft spins at half the speed of the crankshaft. And that's what the timing chain is all about, or the timing gears or the timing belt, is the crankshaft is specifically connected to the camshaft so that the camshaft will rotate at exactly the speed of the crankshaft and the camshaft is uh, connected to the valves and it's designed to open the valves when, again, when we're on the intake or when we're on the exhaust. But those valves need to close so that the chamber is sealed and will actually get compression because compressing compressing the air with all that atomized gas in there is what's going to create the conditions for that explosion to produce the uh, most efficient amount of power. Does that make sense? Complete. Am I, am I, am I, are you, are you, no, it, I'm, I'm blown away that you did that. And for those listening to this, he he looking he was looking at me the entire time. He was not reading this off of uh, uh, notes that he had written. You have practiced that before. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now I love the analogy of the bicycle, the pedals up and down, up and down. Right, because because that that allows you to visualize what a crankshaft looks like. And the crankshaft that's the heart of your engine. That's, that's where yeah. all the power is coming out of the crankshaft and into either the clutch or the torque converter, depending on if it's uh, stick shift or automatic. I'll do this again with transmissions, but it looks to me like we're running out of time, Ditch. I think we are. We are. Hey, we really appreciate your ears today and your comments. And uh, if you have something you want to suggest, if you liked Bud's story, you want him to come speak to your class maybe and, and explain it just the way he did to your class, Bud would love to do that. He does I think of what I could do with visuals. I'll be awesome, man. So reach out to us on our Rick's Powder Coating text line at 901-683-0989. I'm Ditch. I'm Bud. We're the Motor Mouths.